This the remix. Darren's a really important part of our team. I've loved my time being around him. He's a Raider, he's gonna be a Raider, and we're looking forward to what we're gonna do together. The groins aren't very good usually. I believe in Colin Kaepernick, and he deserves every chance in the world to become a quarterback in the National Football League. I still stand by it. If our coaches and general manager want to bring him in or want him to be the quarterback on this team, I would welcome him with open arms. Whacking that thing around. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. The Raiders did not pick up the fifth-year options of Cleland Furl, Josh Jacobs, or Jonathan Abram. They're three first-round picks from the 2019 NFL Draft. They're all under contract for next year, so you still get at least one more season of those three players with the Raiders. But the first-round picks have a fifth-year option. You have to decide that by this week, and the Raiders elected to not pick up the fifth-year option on any of those three first-round picks. Were you surprised that by any of those? Did any of those no. say, "Oh, I thought they'd pick up one of them"? We all said, "We all said no beforehand." We all said neither. Any, not, excuse me, not neither, but all three would not be picked up. I guess if there's one, it was Jacobs that you kind of held out, like you know, your opinion on on if they would do it or not. But I don't think either of us were surprised that they did not. And more and more now, given uh, what we're seeing from this running back room. They're drafting two. I don't know what I don't know what kind of message they're sending Josh Jacobs. They don't pick up his fifth year option. They've got a bunch of guys, mostly on one year contracts, by the way, except for obviously the rookies they just drafted. So they drafted a few guys maybe to get in there and get some long term uh, production out of them if they can. So I was not surprised at any three. I don't think you were surprised that any of these guys didn't get picked up. No, I don't think I would have if I was making the no, decision. I don't, the... I, don't, I don't think I would have picked any of them up either. I thought there was maybe a chance they ended up picking up one of these guys, but they ultimately didn't. Which, by the way, on Josh Jacobs here and the Raiders drafting two running backs, right? They draft Samir White out of Georgia in the fourth round, and then they used the seventh round pick on Britton Brown out of UCLA. Do you view Zamir White as like the 2023 replacement for Josh Jacobs? I think, yeah, I think I do. I okay. think I do. I think he had the college career. Uh, I think he was good enough in college to where, you know, I think there's a reason they drafted him uh, to be that. I'm not going to say anything about the kid from UCLA in the end. I think he better be good on special teams to where you're drafted that way as a as a, as a running back. You're drafted that late. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that's why I said it. I think that the, there was a message to Josh Jacobs, not only in not picking up his option, but by um, but by drafting White. I think that's a message to him. Yeah, and here's here's my general expectation. 2023, Zamir White is going to be the between-the-tackles uh, sledgehammer-type running back that the Patriots tend to have a lot of, and that's what the Patriots want to have Zamir White do in 2023. What I don't know is what the hell does it mean for 2022 because – Run, running back is not a position where you, you don't need to sit for a year to like learn how to run the football. Right. You can come right. in as a rookie and like Zamir White can conceivably come in and do exactly what the Patriots have their guy do or mm -hmm. what the Raiders are going to want this guy to do. But Josh Jacobs is still on the team. So I'm fascinated what it means because here's because here's my thing. If they drafted Zamir White with the intention of him being like, a backup running back this year, but taking over next year, 
To me, that's kind of a waste because you could just draft that type of player next year, mm -hmm. right? If you're going to do it with Josh Jacobs this year, just wait until Jacobs is gone to draft him. Otherwise, Zamir White's just hanging out for a year. So part of me kind of thinks Samir White might steal this backfield away from Josh Jacobs. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I mean, I, I, if you're going to take him now and he's the same kind of runner, then... I think he gets every opportunity to win, uh, apparently. And if you look at his college stats, in his college stats, there wasn't a lot of catching out of the backfield. Josh Jacobs is going to have a is going to predict his sixty yard or sixty receptions this year again. I don't think Zamir White's going to get sixty receptions. So who's change of pace? Kenyon Drake? Because yeah, because yeah, Jacobs I mean, and, so and White seem to be the same guy, like you said. I, and the other thing, so they said they want to have six running backs to start. I'm curious how much they actually end up keeping because right now they they have Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake. They brought Brandon Bolden over as a free agent signing from the Patriots. They also signed Amir Abdullah, who played for the Panthers a little bit last year when Christian McCaffrey's hurt, but I assume is not going to be on the roster now. But they did sign him, plus they brought back Trey Regis, who was a guy that was on the Raiders roster last year. And then they traded up to get Zamir White and then took Britton Brown as a running back in the seventh round. Plus, they have two fullbacks on the roster. So they're almost certainly carrying a fullback. They signed Jacob Johnson from the Patriots. They're almost certainly carrying him. I'm curious to see how many running backs do they keep on the roster? Because right now, Jacobs and probably Zamir Smith are like the, the between the tackles, pound the football type of running back. Brandon Bolden is, I guess, just going to be a special teamers and maybe catch some passes with Kenyon Drake being the primary pass catching back. So you, just, could you see four backs, one fullback? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and if they do that, then that means they're likely cutting Britton Brown before mm -hmm. the season starts, who they used a seventh round pick on, which seventh round, not a big deal. And cutting Amir Abdullah, who they signed in free agency, though, again, it's not like he's a proven player. So, it, yeah, I, I think four seems like the right number, but I, I guess... The, it, it would not make any sense to carry five and a fullback. No, That's just wasting no. too many roster spots on yeah. a running back spot. But technically, they could. They've got they they've spent. I'll put it this way: they've used enough capital, even if it's just a seventh round pick, even if it's just a small free agent signing in Abdullah. They've used enough capital this offseason to be like, well, maybe they'll carry five, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, let's go to these other two guys now: Farrell and and Abram. Can either of them earn a contract? I don't think Farrell's going to play nearly enough to have a shot. I mean, there's going to have to be like a lot of injuries for Cleveland Farrell to play enough snaps to earn a legit second. I mean, maybe they you sign him back on a one-year like league minimum, but a legitimate second contract, I don't think so. Jonathan Abrams, the fascinating one to me right now because it is May 2nd, and Jonathan Abram is still a projected starter. Right on this defense but the front office just told us that they don't think he's good enough to pick up the fifth year option on him so they clearly don't actually think jonathan abram is very good but yet he would be starting right now if they, sure. play if they played if they played a game today he'd be that kind of box safety guy so i am fascinated by what they actually think of jonathan abram and this is why earlier in the show i gave the non-tier and matthew signing an incomplete because I still assume they're going to do something at this spot, right? I mean, you would think so. They've sent a message to him. I think the only one, let's say Jacob stays completely healthy. He had 2,000-yard uh, seasons, what it was year one and two, and then he went down to 800-something last year. Um, 
Let's say he comes back. Let me ask you this. He comes back, is healthy the entire year, and has a 1,000-yard season. Do they sign him, or is it a situation where he's just he's another year older, um, maybe gets beat up a little, stays healthy, but he gets beat up a little, has the 1,000 yards? Uh, Zamir White is good. I'm not even so sure that would get him another contract. I, the way I don't they, think it does. No, the way they think about if they take the Patriots' way of thinking about running backs, a lot of guys get, get action here, and I don't think they sign running backs, correct me if I'm wrong, to long-term deals or to big-money deals. I don't think they believe no. that. Yeah, I, I think the only way that Josh Jacobs is back is if he's taking a really small deal next year. Uh, but I, I think the drafting of Zamir White, and even throw Britton Brown, the seventh-rounder in there, I think that's a pretty clear sign that unless Josh Jacobs, even if Josh Jacobs is the best running back in football this year, they probably don't sign him because then he's going to actually get a big contract and they just probably won't yeah, spend that money. They won't spend so the money I, on a running back. I don't think Jacobs is back unless it's like on a super cheap deal and he's just like, doesn't have any great offers out there. So yeah, I, I if before, so they picked up or they, they, they declined the fifth year option after round one and before uh, the next day of the NFL draft, before they drafted two running backs, I would have said, yeah, if Josh Jacobs plays really well, if he's healthy, then yeah, they, they could bring him back. But when then you turn around and draft two running backs, one in the fourth round, one in the seventh round, I, I don't think, I just don't think there's any chance. I think Josh Jacobs is somewhere else in 2023 and it doesn't really matter what he does. Like Zamir White's going to have to be dreadful this year, right? For that. If Zamir White's just like unbelievably bad and they can't even put him on the field because they can't trust him with the playbook or something weird like that, then maybe, but I think that's the only way. I don't think there's anything Jacobs himself can actually do to, to earn a legit second contract from the Raiders. Now, it's been some years from the from the draft, so I can now come back and tell you, because it's been Uh-oh. some years I can go back and like, start evaluating Uh-oh. that Mike Mayock screwed up a lot. Uh-oh. Look <laughs> at you. Is it not true? Are you giving us a Minus. draft grade from 2019? Yes, yes. Okay. What it, What is it? I'm reading all the, let's see, he drafted, oh, man. Hmm. Oh, man. I don't like to be completely cruel, but D minus. D minus. So 2019, they had three first-round picks, and they used it on Cleveland Furl, Josh Jacobs, and Jonathan Abram. None of who have been given a second, <laughs> a fifth-year yep. option. That None of you. which get their fifth-year option picked up, and the only one we've had a legitimate conversation about getting a fifth-year option or getting another contract is a running back who the who the new front office just drafted his replacement in the fourth round. Um, I think I can I think I can say this with uh, some level of certainty: that 2019 draft and Mike Mayock and John Gruden blowing it prevented the Raiders from being Super Bowl contenders. Wow. They had three first-round picks. And, hell, the next year they had two, and neither Henry Ruggs nor Damon Arnett are on the team anymore. And then they had one more in Alex Leatherwood, and he wasn't any good last year. The Raiders had six first-round picks with Mike Mayock as their general manager. I think they missed on all six of them. Like, the best of those is a running back who's been hurt quite a bit in Josh Jacobs. If they, again... They don't have to hit on all six. If they land three legitimate starters, not even like Pro Bowl level players, just three legitimate starters from those six picks, the Raiders are probably Super Bowl contenders this year. If like imagine if Alex Leatherwood was a top 30 guard or tackle, whichever one. And imagine if Jonathan Abram was a top 30 safety on this team, 
right? What are we talking about? We're talking about the Raiders as having two legitimately good players instead of, oh, they've got to replace Abram. And can this guy who might be a center, might be a guard from Memphis, beat out your former first-round pick? Like, if they had three legitimate starters from those six, they're Super Bowl contenders. You're saying but Super they, Bowl contenders this year? Yeah, th this year. After, uh, you know, assuming they still right. make the Devontae Adams trade and all that. Right. And Ziggler and McDaniels are here. But, like, they would have three more legitimately good players, and that's probably the difference in them being fourth in the AFC West and legitimate Super Bowl. Contenders. All right. They, they blew six first-round picks in three we years. We can look that's back and say do. that now. Yeah. All these are blown. Well, Leatherwood's only been one year. You well, but he's saying when, that. I'm comfortable saying it because he can't okay. play the position he was drafted at. <laughs> I'm comfortable saying looking back. Hey, now, hey, we don't know that. What if McDaniels and Ziggler put him at right tackle again? Well, they can coach him up. Okay. Coach uh -oh. him up. Coach him uh -oh. up. Jared's not happy. He's not happy the way this is going. Yeah. But they but in all seriousness, like they they blew it. Like Mayock and, and John Gruden blew it. They the Raiders underwent a mini rebuild, or maybe it was a full-blown rebuild, but they traded away Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. They had three players on the roster with significant value. Derek Carr, Khalil Mack, and Amari Cooper. And they traded away two of them for three additional first-round picks. And then they used those picks plus their own first-round picks, and they blew all of them. Like They completely blew all of them. And if they hadn't done that, if they had just hit on half of them, we're having a completely different conversation about expectations of this team and how good they are. But because now did again, they who, blow on, did they blow it? On, well, Arnett, maybe did they blow it on rugs skill wise or talent wise, or that he just got into a situation where this is all on him? Yeah, I think I, st I still think they blew it on Henry rugs talent wise. <laughs> he, we got like what four games of Henry rugs being a competent wide receiver. He wasn't good as a rookie and he clearly hasn't been anywhere close to the good young wide receivers in football. Like they and he he was the first wide receiver taken in that draft. Like right. the, the expectation is that that guy is going to be very, Jamar very Chase or Justin Jefferson, right? And I again, he was better in the first few games of the of his second season, but he still wasn't on pace to be that. He st it still wasn't a oh wide receivers fixed for four years for the Raiders. No, he was still okay. He's he makes some big plays and makes the defense account for him, but it still wasn't a oh this guy's incredible. There are better receivers from that draft. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, it it certainly is harsh to grade it based on the off-field stuff for Henry Ruggs because that was kind of out of nowhere and unexpected. But it's still what I, I think if Henry Ruggs is still in the NFL today, we're not talking about him like he's the, the Devontae Adams of this team. Arnett, I think we saw enough of. Well, and here's the thing. Arnett was, games. was bad on the field, got injured a lot, and then had plenty of off-field issues. And the problem with Arnett is that those off he had red flag off-field issues before the draft. Like that was oh, one that of the was big the, that was the him. question on him is that right. he had off-field issues at Ohio State. Right. And the Raiders took a chance on him and it it got worse apparently. Like so that was like the Henry Ruggs one I think you can give a little bit of a pass to because you nobody's can't expecting that. You can't predict that. that. Right. And there wasn't anything to predict that right. that we knew of at least. The Damon Arnett stuff every when he got before the draft and when he got drafted, everybody was like, uh, he, the talent might work out, but we don't know if this guy's going to be able to be on the field for you for a while. So that was predictable and it ended up being true and they blew it. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs and Ed Graney's funeral. Insecure guy. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. 
By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Welcome to Ed Graney's funeral. Ed, I don't want to uh, mischaracterize your opinion here. So just, just to make sure everybody's clear here, you don't believe in draft grades because you don't believe anybody knows what these players are going to be. I believe I don't believe anyone who does mock drafts in the media or anyone who has nothing to do with teams, and even teams at this point, like let's say the Las Vegas Raiders, right? They picked uh, Zamir White. They believe he's going to be a certain thing, right? He's going to be maybe Josh Jacobs' starter. Maybe he's going to be the backup. I, I don't know because we didn't really get into that with, with Josh McDaniels and, and Dave Ziegler. They just said they like him as a player. They like him as a runner, whatever. They don't really know how he's going to translate. The, nobody knows how he's going to translate because he hasn't been on an NFL field yet. So right. I don't like when people say, this guy's going to be this. Like, you don't know that. All right. I have pulled up uh, from 2019 – Pro football focuses day after the NFL draft grades for every team. Uh, for some reason, they didn't do A, B, C, D, F. They did below average, <laughs> average, and elite, uh, whatever. But they gave the Raiders for the 2019 draft below average. That was the draft they picked uh, Cleveland Furl, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram in the first round. I am just going to read to you what Pro Football Focus wrote the day after the draft on the Raiders. But you also picked up you also picked up ones that were completely wrong, and you're going to read those because pro football. Fo- I'm, I'm going to read pro football focus is not 100. percent I'm going to read you everything they wrote about the okay. Raiders draft in 2019. Okay, I'm the sure they got a lot after. of it right, and I'm sure they get a lot wrong. But go ahead. Starting on day one, Mike Mayock and John Gruden selected Cleveland Furl, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram with picks number four, 24, and 27. None of those three players received first-round grades from Pro Football Focus. Farrell lacks explosion. I didn't see high-end reps. You didn't see the dominant type of games. I can't believe it. I cannot believe this was the pick, said Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. On Josh Jacobs, Pro Football Focus's George, I don't know how to say his last name, said, even when a running back, a Saquon Barkley does a tremendous job as he did last year, it's just hard to move the needle because of what the running back position does. Well, everyone says that. And on Jonathan Abram, Mike Renner said, he's great in run and hit situation. He plays like his hair's on fire. He's bringing attitude to your defense. In terms of coverage ability, he gives you the least valuable thing a Wait, safety can bring to the You table. said Josh Jacobs. You're talking about Jonathan I'm sorry. Abram. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yes, Jonathan Abram. He brings the least valuable thing a safety can bring to the table, and that's box underneath zone ability. So that's that. I'll get to the rest of them. Those are the first three round picks. Every single one of those is exactly what those but players ended up being. But I want to know on the ones they got wrong because they're yeah. not a, they're not perfect. They're not 100%. a hundred percent. But every single one hey, of those but, first round picks, you're not they listening nailed to me. it. Go they, and look that, up all the ones they were wrong on. That, that's my point. My point is no one is 100%. They're 100% on these, but I want you to look up all the ones they missed because you know they weren't 100% out of 100% on every player. That's my point. We don't Day know. Two. <laughs> Again, Day two. I'm sure you've only looked up the good part. That's. I'm just giving you all the Raiders picks. Day two. The Raiders picks. Much of the same continued on Oakland for day two as they selected the 160th overall player, 
Clemson cornerback Trayvon Mullen. Uh, quick side note, Mullen was the 40th overall pick. Um, Though extremely tall and long, Mullen has earned just a 73.5 coverage grade a year ago and failed to earn coverage grades above 80 in any of the two prior seasons. Mullen has been better than they projected, uh, though not anything superstar so far. Day three. Former Eastern Michigan edge defender Max Crosby, a favorite of Mike Renner's, is a freakish athlete with quality production and grading to boot. He has some of the best bend of any edge rusher in the class. He's earned uh, pass rushing grades of 88.2 and 90.6 the past two seasons at Eastern Michigan. They nailed that one too. LSU tight end Foster Moreau and Clemson's Hunter Renfro offer some upside as day three picks. Moreau finished 2018 12th among eligible FBS tight ends in overall grade. He may not look the part, but Renfro is a crafty slot receiver that can add immediate value to an yeah. NFL offense in 2019. They were they were right about Moreau. Um, uh, no, probably not. Okay, <laughs> they're very good at what they do. You're proving you're <laughs> you're you're proving my point in that you can't you you've got to go now find me the ones they were completely wrong on when you know they exist. That's my point. My point is, of course, people are going to hit some. A point, of course, people they are gonna, hit all of them except well, they Foster Moreau and to a point Mullen. But but again, my point being is, yes, you're going to hit some. Yes, you're going to miss some. But you don't know everything. So on the ones you hit and the ones you miss, when you draft them, yes, they're going to hit on some, but I want to know all the ones they missed on. Or I want to know the ones they missed on and turned out to be great players. That happens, even with Pro Football Focus. As great as Pro Football Focus is, and I do agree, they're very bright and they, they probably you know hit more than miss. That's my point of why I don't like grades. Because I'm sure they missed on some where they go back and say, boy, we kind of screwed that one. We missed on that one. We should have given that guy a lower or higher grade. That's why I don't grade anything. I just wait. I wait and but see. Your logic is making it sound like it's a 50-50 chance pro football focus is right, when in reality it's probably like 90% No, I'm not, right saying, I'm not saying I'm not saying 50-50. I think some people hit more than they miss. I just said that. You're asking me why I don't like grades or mock drafts or mock drafts or any of that. It's fun to read. Look, I understand the purpose of mock drafts. My god, Adam Hill spends 50 hours, you know, in, in two days doing it. I think he does an incredible job for us. He works his butt off. He watches film and all that. I just don't put much stock in mock drafts or grades until I see what the guy does in like two or three years. Or in the case of Alex Leatherwood, one year. I don't think you need two or three years out of one guy to see, my God, he was drafted as a tackle and now he's a guard. There must be something wrong there. So that's my, have- my point is I just don't put much stock in before you see the guy play. That's really the only point. It's not a huge point. It's just that I don't like grades or mock drafts. I'm not one of those people who like fawn over mock drafts and 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 want to know what everyone's saying. I'll just say, okay, pick the guy, and then I'll see what kind of player he becomes. Lynn Bowden is more still more gimmick than wide receiver. While he's incredibly dynamic with the ball in his hands, he'll have to have scheme touches in the NFL. Well, nailed that. We had no idea they traded him. Well, the Dolphins found out. Ryan Edwards has found a lot of success by physically manhandling college corners. He needs to do more than that to win in the NFL, though, and hasn't consistently shown he can separate downfield. They they nailed this draft, and I'm sure they fail on some drafts. This is is next year's draft. This is the following draft, too. They they nailed them all. But I'm sure they fail. Are you saying they're 100% right? I'm telling you. No, I'm I'm telling you they're like Okay, you just proved my point. They're not 100% right. And That's what I'm saying. And my point is, my point is, no one's 100 right. That's my point. No one's 100 right. 
And you don't know which one, and you don't know which ones you're right on, which ones you're wrong on, until like I said, hey, they nailed the Raiders. There's no question. I'll give them credit for that. But I'm sure they've missed a lot too. And you haven't, you haven't, you haven't pulled any of those up. If your expectation is for them to be a hundred percent, you're never going to be happy with anybody's analysis on anything. There I am. (laughs) Nobody's ever going to be a hundred percent. That's impossible to be. That's why I don't. That's why I don't put much stock in any of it because I don't know who's going to be hundred percent or not. So why wouldn't I just wait? I'll just wait to tell you what I think of a player, which I did. I mean, I I didn't think they should have picked up any of those options on those guys. I don't think any of those guys will get a second contract. I don't think uh, Leatherwood is de- going to be near what his what his draft status was, but I wait to see what kind of players they are. I don't judge guys before they've ever stepped on an NFL field. Now, right, again, before, before we call Paul, if I told you somebody hit on 80% of their NFL draft picks, would you think they were a good general manager? 80% overall or just one draft? Oh, overall, the entire entirety of their time drafting. They yeah, but you you know, yeah, I would think he's a good general manager. I'm not saying people don't get it right. You're 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 missing the entire point. I'm not saying people don't get it right. What I'm saying is my preference is to wait to see what kind of players they become. You are a draft, I guess a draft uh, mock draft guy. That's fine. That's your prerogative. I'm not a mock draft guy. I'm not a grading guy. You can have different opinions. You can one can be one but and one can be, be the other. But you should be a draft, no. I shouldn't a be. Wait, draft guy. Yeah, yeah, you should be. No, I shouldn't be. It's you should not be as insens- insensitive as you are. It's <laughs> way better this way. It's a hundred percent. No, better it's this it's way. really not in my world. But that then again, we have different worlds. I have a life. <laughs> you have what you do on a daily basis. I prefer to have an all around more healthier lifestyle to where, you know, you head to the gym, you do your workout, you spend time with the family, maybe have sport, little sports oh. here, little sports there. That's a healthy lifestyle. It's not None 600%. of that sounds remotely oh, fun. It, that it sounds does. terrible. You, no, well, that's you. It sounds like a nightmare. That's a disaster. <laughs> Give me my three TVs on the wall okay. and nothing else. I'm going to have mock drafts on one of them. Coming up next, <laughs> Paul Gutierrez joins the show. Uh, oh, he's playing music. Um, Hold on a second. I don't know. I don't know exactly what just <laughs> happened. Jared told me he just starts yelling. I need you guys to talk because the computer crashed, uh, which doesn't sound good. So, hi, it's us again. <laughs> I think we're in the middle of a commercial break there. Uh, Paul Gutierrez is going to join us in a second. Uh, Ed, initial immediate hot take to the Golden Knights scheduling media availability tomorrow with Pete DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon yes. expected to speak. That is a hot. That is a hot take. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> I've got Paul Gutierrez texting me. Where are you? <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. I will give him a call in a moment. I am trying my best to get our computer uh, up and running. You know what? I'll just call Paul now, get him on the air, and we'll, I'll try to fix the computer in the meantime. Would they? I can't imagine. So no. DeBoer and McCrimmon are going to talk tomorrow. I can't imagine no. they're going to talk and be fired. No. I, that's a, Tyler, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw this is the first name I saw, or the second name I saw was co- head coach Pete DeBoer. So, <laughs> I mean, can you see if both those guys go up there and have all these comments and later in the day, all the Knights have dismissed general manager <laughs> Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer. Disregard all the quotes they gave you. I mean, so, so it right kind of seems like they're coming back. Every, I guess there's a possibility McPhee would get fired in that hey, scenario, well, uh, but that's the one I, I don't think you or I ever thought would go. Right. I, we've both kind of pegged him as the least likely to get fired <laughs> in the three. So maybe a shot McPhee, but I think you're right. I think the, tomorrow 
the most likely scenario or outcome from all this is that all three McCrimmon, DeBoer, and McPhee are back next year. Uh, so, all right, we'll get more into that if they do, in fact, not fire anybody after a kind of failed season. Joining us now from ESPN is Paul Gutierrez. <laughs> hey, Paulie. Uh, Paul, I don't know what happened. I just got yelled into my headphone that our computer crashed and we don't have commercials or something. But hi, Paul. How are hey, you? Hey, Paulie. I'm doing well. I thought maybe Ed was like trying to binge watch up on the Mayans so we could talk about oh. fish and everything else. Uh, but I'm only one episode in, so okay. You know, I want. I, I'm. 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 I've. I've caught up, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ruin anything. I'm not gonna. <laughs> no spoilers. Ruin no Are spoilers. you gonna give us a grade on the Mayans, Ed? Oh, A plus. Okay. Great. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, we can't. Paul's... We can't play the A plus because the computer is crap. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we got sound for that. Um, all right, Paul. They didn't have a first or a second round pick, so it's not as fun or as exciting as a draft but were you surprised at all they drafted two running backs and two defensive tackles um yes and no the running backs that was kind of the strange thing um considering that it wasn't really a a a source of need right um defensive tackle they'd already signed a whole gaggle of them this offseason and re-signed jonathan hankins so that was it but when you take what john with uh, josh mcdaniel said at the nfl owners meetings where they were literally going to go by their board and go best player available to them on their board, even if it meant drafting the same position three spots in a row, that's what they were going to do. That's where you kind of saw that come into play. So their mentality is, you know, we're just going to go that route instead of reaching for a position that we think we need. And uh, you you make what's already a strength even stronger, and then that perhaps gives you more chips down the road, whether it's via trade or or something like that. So, uh, you know, Yes and no. It, it did make a lot of sense at the time, especially running backs. But, you know, when they declined the fifth-year option on Jacobs as well as Farrell and Abram the day before, then it all kind of, when you pull back and take a, a bigger, you know, more of a macro view instead of the micro view, it does kind of make sense as to what they're doing when you take them at their word from what how they kind of set this thing up uh, earlier in the offseason. We kind of asked this question to begin with because the first thing we heard, and we hear this a lot from Dave Ziegler, is versatility. Uh, yes. Dylan Parham, he can play all the positions, and he might play guard. Hey, he might beat out Andre James. We're not sure. Good move to tackle. Uh, what does that mean to you in terms of does that mean good or maybe not so good that he's not, you know, superior to anything? Like what, when you hear that from Dave Ziegler and you hear it a lot from him, what what comes to mind for you? Jack of all trades, master of none, right? And I think if you're versatile and if that's the mentality that the staff wants you to have, then that's a good thing. I mean, it, it's a new day for the Raiders. I mean, it, it's it's I don't know if it's good or bad yet, and I think they would be the first ones to say that too because we don't know what it's going to look like until they're actually on the field. But this is their vision. So for Dylan Parham, for Neil Farrell Jr., for Matthew Butler, again, those are two versatile uh, defensive linemen. So that is the theme through this draft is they're getting a lot of versatility guys that can, uh, you can, I don't necessarily know if you can plug and play, but you can plug them in and see if they can play. And that's really all you can ask for at this stage. And that's why I've always kind of cracked up at, at uh, you know, we used to do this exercise at, at ESPN a couple of years ago where you had to give it immediate thumbs up or thumbs down. And uh, I was covering both the Raiders and the 49ers for this draft. And only two teams got thumbs down for their for their drafts, and uh, it was the 49ers and the Raiders. And uh, I was either the biggest hater or everybody God, loved. You're such a time. negative so, guy, Paul. Yeah, but that was Jeez. the thing. Even I think even Josh Dubow from Associated Press gave me a standing ovation for that. But <laughs> you know, you can't really judge a draft class until two or three years down the road. And as we saw with the first rounders all getting declined from 19, you can look at that and go, ugh. 
if it wasn't for Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby, 19 would have been a terrible draft. 2020 was a terrible draft, and you just kind of go from there. On the offensive line, do you believe they have their five starters on the roster now, or do you believe there's a free agent signing or, I guess, a trade possibly coming to get another starter on the offensive line? Unless there is a stud-established right tackle out there, yeah, I think we're looking at their starting offensive line right now. And, and here's, here's the, the, the key piece to this, guys, is everybody's kind of forgetting and sleeping on Denzel Good. Uh, you know, he went down early um, in the opener last year and was lost for the season with that, with that ACL. So if he can come back and establish himself, whether that is at right guard or right tackle, he, to me, is the, the key because then that allows you to figure out what you want to do or whatever Alex Leatherwood can do. Um, again, something I thought was interesting was uh, McDaniels and Ziegler both at, at the owners' meetings talking about we know what Alex Leatherwood was drafted to do, and we're going to let him give him every opportunity to do that, meaning right tackle. Now, he struggled mightily, but uh, people kind of forget that Colt Miller struggled at left tackle his rookie season too, but his best ability was his availability, and he's gotten much, much better as time's gone on. They have similar hopes for Leatherwood, good. Uh, and then when you got Parham and uh, – Thayer Munford coming in, it's going to make for some interesting competitive times in the offensive line. Uh, some teams do it, including the ones these guys came from. Do you like running back by committee? I don't. I don't, but I'm more old school. I'm, I'm, I'm like, give me Eric Dickerson, give me Marcus Allen, give me Walter Payton, Earl Campbell. But, you know, I'm, I guess I'm showing my age there, guys. But, that, that, again, that's, that is the vision, right? That's what Josh McDaniel's offense d- depends on. That's what it relies upon. Um, if that is indeed what they're going to do, all right, well, then let's see what, jo- what Josh Jacobs, how he reacts to this, because he used to be in the bell cow. He used to be in the bug eye uh, going forward. So if it is a running back by committee, they've got plenty of guys to, to figure it out, right? And they got plenty of running backs. they got plenty of defensive tackles. They're still looking. They still need some help in the secondary and at linebacker, too. So when that $20 million plus comes, uh, gets added to the salary cap June 1st, June 2nd, that's when I think they'll be able to go out there and try and find somebody. But – Again, who's going to be out there at that point? Are you surprised that it's May 2nd and the most likely guy starting at safety or one of the safety spots is still Jonathan Abram? Not really. Um, I mean, he showed he showed some improvement last year. And again, it all depends upon what the new defensive coordinator wants to do. Uh, and that's why it's hard to make these predictions and to say, oh, they nailed this or they nailed that or they still need this or the other thing. Because everything that is, is it's old is new again. And with Abram, he, he has shown that he can be effective in the box. Uh, the liability is in pass coverage, and we all know that. And he'd probably be the first one to tell you that as well. So it depends upon how they use him, and you, you go forward from there. So surprise? No, not really. I mean, he was a first-round draft pick, but again, he's a guy that didn't have his fifth-year option picked up either. And um, he's the first one to always talk about, too, about the best ability is availability. And he really hasn't been all that available over the first three years of his career due to injuries, due to the way he plays, which uh, is a throwback to the 70s, but uh, you got to be able to stay on the field. Did you take anything from Ziegler McDaniels, or was it a sense that they said a lot but didn't say much after the draft? The sense I got was it was just kind of two guys, two buddies that are getting their first crack at it together. And that's why, I, you know, the theme for me was kind of like, what was it like for you guys? I mean, you're running your own show. You're, you're the group. You, have, you guys have one of 32 jobs in the world for your – respective professions and and you did it and you know how satisfying dave was it to to get in there roll your sleeves up and make some trades and acquire an extra pick and and you know they get they had to sit and watch the first two almost three full rounds happen before they could actually get involved but but it it was kind of a, a dry test run for them so the sense i got from them was 
they're just kind of happy to be doing what they're doing. They're looking forward to it. They're excited about doing it, but they don't have to look over their shoulder to see what the hoodie is going to say about what they're doing. Now they just got Mark Davis giving them not carte blanche, but it's like, hey, you take care of the football side of things for me, and we'll go from there. And, you know, their proven track record in New England, um, it, it, it shows something. I mean, there's a reason that McDaniels, and again, he was a part of it. It wasn't the reason, but he does have six Super Bowl rings, guys. Yeah. What do you think the Minnesota Vikings thought when the Raiders traded them 126th and then called them back two minutes later to ask for 126 again? <laughs> yeah, I think my tweet was, I don't think the Raiders have dealt with the Vikings that much in Super Bowl eleven. And again, showing my age, but uh, it, it's just interesting the way that the, the draft kind of goes. And, and um, you know, everybody can have their seven-round projections or their first-round projections or mock drafts, this, that, and the other, and none of it may, means anything until it actually happens. And that's why I go back to what Ed just asked about, uh, you know, these two guys, their friends, their buddies, both on the field, off the field, and it just seems kind of cool to watch these guys be able to go out there and make it happen and translate it out there. Again, did, did they win the draft? Nobody knows. You won't know for a couple of years. I don't think they won it because they didn't have a first or a second round pick. I bet they didn't win the draft. Yeah, and, and I don't think that they were really in it to win it, so to speak, as much yeah. as just, if, you know, if you look at it this way, I mean, with their first round pick and with their second round pick, they selected wide receiver Devontae Adams from the Green Bay Packers, and I think that uh, going forward anyway. So it, it, it's real interesting the way people look at the draft. It is the lifeblood uh, of every NFL franchise, but it's also a crapshoot. And again, my favorite all-time NFL draft story is Tom Flores telling me how divided the room was in 1982 when half the room wanted uh, Marcus Allen and the other half wanted Barry Redden. And thankfully, common sense won out. Well, he is Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Paul, thank you. We Thanks, appreciate Paul. It. We appreciate it. I hope you get those computers up. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go watch the latest episode of Mayans. Uh, there you go, kid. Catch yourself up. Catch yourself up. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Uh, Jared, I need, a, I guess, a status update. What what can we do at the moment? I would recommend talking about whatever you have planned for, uh, for 940, <laughs> uh, for 950. That's what uh, I'd recommend. Continuing back. on the phone. And uh, whenever I say do the giveaway, that means we can go to commercial. Okay, let's get back to uh, to Gold Knight. Do the giveaway. Yes. Uh, So, (laughs) listen, I I don't know what's going on there. I think they're all staying. I think that's what's going on. No, no, I meant I don't know what's going on with Jared and his computer. Uh, I don't know what's happening there. But yes, so for anybody, I'm doing my best. The Golden Knights are going to have. Did we lose Tyler? Are going to talk. This is effectively the end of season. Uh, media availability that they will have. Both Ed and I have the same immediate reaction to this, that if DeBoer is talking and McCrimmon is talking, that neither one's getting fired. Yeah, I don't know if they would bring them. And Pete DeBoer is going first, followed by players, followed by Kelly McCrimmon. Is there any chance Pete DeBoer goes first, Bill Foley's listening in, players go next, and by the time Kelly McCrimmon comes up, he has been dismissed, and they're like, that's it for today? I <laughs> Wait a minute, what about Kelly? That's it for today? That's all that's going to be available? I don't think that's happening. I I do, uh, like, okay, there is, like, the slight possibility that Pete DeBoer talks after being fired, right? That they announce, hey, Pete DeBoer's been fired, and now we're going to do, hey, he can talk to the media or whatever. 
I don't think that's happening. That I don't seems think that's very, happening. very unlikely. That's, especially with that franchise. Right. Yes. <laughs> you don't want anyone I, saying anything not, you know, not not <laughs> okayed from the top. God forbid anyone says anything. But I guess that's possible, even though very <laughs> unlikely. I just they're all coming back. So let me ask you this, and, and we'll get more into this throughout the week. If they are all in fact coming back, how do you think the fan base reacts to that? Is the fan base going to be well, upset? Or are they going to be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Just reading what you and I have read on Twitter, um, I'll I'll tell you what. Uh, I think the fan base, and I've said this before. I don't know where you stand on this. I think DeBoer should come back. I don't think there's any way he should be fired at all. But I think you and I read Twitter enough to know their fans are fans, and it always goes to the head coach. In fact, Ben Goats just uh, tweeted, you know, hey, they're having their season-ending um, meetings tomorrow. And these are the people we're talking. And the first one who comes in is a fan. Why is Pete DeBoer still here? You know, I mean, so <laughs> that was the first response to it. So it's always the fans that want the coach gone because they think that that's going to solve everything, even though the last time it appears that the coach knew what he was doing a little bit. Um, so my answer to your question is the majority will be upset that Pete's back, which we're assuming. Because I don't think the majority starts thinking about management like you and I do or people in the business do in terms of, okay, where does the responsibility lie with them? I mean, some fans do. Some fans are pretty pretty sharp, and they say, oh, hold on a second. What about the people above them? Didn't the, aren't they the reason they were in such cap hell all the time, and didn't they make the decisions? But most fans go to the coach. So I guess to answer your question, I think they'll be more upset at that than anything to deal with McCrimmon. How much convincing do you think it took Bill Foley to keep all of them? Or do you oh. think he, he was already leaning that I way? Think, I think the more he heard about the injuries and the man games lost that he said, okay, let's run it back. I, I don't think he thought very deeply about it. I don't know why. I, I just think that they convinced him and he heard all year long, well, it's the injuries, the injuries, even though they said, hey, it's not an excuse. Well, they were using an excuse. Every time you say it's not an excuse, that's what you've just done. You've used it as an excuse. But I think he heard all the injuries, historic amount of injuries. We've lost all these games. These guys are going to be healthy. Let's run it back. This is the team that we were supposed to have. And then he decided to keep everybody. Man, that's that's a fascinating decision. I mean. I thought someone was gone. I thought so, too. I mean, just, yes, they had injuries. But we listen, I've made this point the entire season. The injuries are fine to explain away why the Golden Knights don't have the best record in the Pacific Division. The injuries were not enough to explain away why they missed the playoffs. Like this team still oh, yeah. should have and they made said that. the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Whether they believed it or not, DeBoer said that. DeBoer said no matter who's out of the lineup, we're deep enough to win games. Right. They, I they, mean, they continued to say that the whole season long. The season started with Kelly McCrimmon saying it's the deepest forward group they've ever yes. had. So Yeah. Like again, if the, if this team had you know, if the Flames had run away with the division and the Golden Knights snuck in as the third team in the Pacific or a last wildcard team, whatever it was, then I think you look around and say, okay, yeah, injuries kind of, you know, ruined the seeding for the postseason, but they still made it because they still had a lot of talent and enough depth to get it done. But for them to completely miss the playoffs, they started the year. What we, I'd have to go back and look. Were they number one, number two, number three in terms of Stanley Cup odds? I mean, they were... Oh, I think they least, were one or two for sure. Yeah, I mean, at least in the top five, but probably even better than that as far as Stanley Cup odds. For them to completely miss the playoffs and there be zero changes as far as coaching and front office, that's, to me, that's a little fascinating. And, well, let me ask you this. Do we think this almost guarantees there's assistant coaches being fired? That's a great question. 
Um, guarantee, I don't know, but I would put that as the favorite. And here's the other thing. You and I talked about this last week. If he's coming back, a lot of people thought that he wouldn't he wouldn't accept that. Um, but if some are released, I mean, if some are uh, fired, then he did accept it. And that was guys on his staff. And look, that happens a lot. I'm not going to hold it against him. A lot of people, a lot of a lot of coaches do that all the time. They they dismiss assistants if they don't think they've done a good job. But you bring up a great point. And maybe that you know what? Maybe that was the compromise to Foley, right? Hey, we've had a lot of injuries, but you're right. This power play stunk. This part of the team wasn't very good. These were the guys in charge of that. Pete's ultimately in charge of everything, but on a day-to-day basis, you know, X was in charge of the power play, and Coach Z was in charge of that, and maybe they move on from them, and they can explain away, hey, we got away, we got rid of some guys, but we believe in the top guys, and we're going to go forward. I, that will be very interesting. Your point's going to be very interesting to follow tomorrow because I think that's one of the fair questions to Pete DeBoer tomorrow, and if no one asks it, I'll ask it, is your staff coming back? Can can we get Bill Foley to do a press conference? Oh, he won't. Yeah, I don't think he'll. I don't think because again, I'm. I'd love. I'm to, I'd love way, for him to do it. Way more interested in what he has to say than than DeBoer or McCrimmon. Because if you're DeBoer and McCrimmon, it's pretty easy to just be like, "Well, the injuries. That's why right. it ruined our season." So right. yeah, if we're we're on paper and we're healthy, we're going to be good. We're going to be a cup contender. But I would love to hear Foley because the the other part that we've talked so much about is even if you ignore the on ice failures of this season, even if you ignored that, hey, they missed the playoffs and they weren't very good as a team, the amount of stuff that just like the Dodonov trade, even if it wasn't their fault, the Robin Leonard, we need you to be the backup for one game before you get surgery and like forcing him to not get surgery for a couple of days. Like there's been so much stuff this year. And then on top of, the Marc-Andre Fleury trade and how much that divided the fan base and made people angry and the way that they've done a lot of stuff like that, whether it's Oscar Lindbergh staying on the ice for practice after he's been traded 10 minutes ago. I'm just curious off ice if there's anything Bill Foley cares about off the ice or if it's simply how good is this team in hockey? And if he thinks they can win the cup, he doesn't care if they get embarrassed by a Dodonov trade or they get bad press from Robin Leonard having to uh, sit on the bench despite having wanting to have surgery. Like, I wonder if he cares at all about that stuff or if it's simply how good is this team in hockey? We might as well do the giveaway and uh, go to national programming because I don't, this is beyond my control at this point. Okay. <laughs> we are going to give away two tickets to go see Jerry. Wait, Cantrell. we're back. <laughs> well, we're back with commercials. So, so do the giveaway? Yeah, do the giveaway. Jerry Cantrell, two tickets. He's coming to the House of Blues on Saturday, May 7th. You can buy him at Ticketmaster or win a pair from us right now. Jerry Cantrell tickets, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100 if you want to go see Jerry Cantrell at the House of Blues. Caller number six. That's okay. Thank you very much. I'm going to do, do my best now. All right, everybody have a good day. <laughs>